Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Here comes another episode of Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Podcast. The best moments of the week, ending Friday, October 25th, 2019. Welcome back to the Mallard Creek Barbecue 2019. It's the hometown tour on WPT, presented by High Performance Real Estate. They'll see you at the closing table. I'm Bo Thompson, alongside Pam Warner here at the Mallard Creek Church Community House is, is what it's called, and uh, a lot of people uh, think, who haven't been here before, that it's at the actual church, the Mallard Creek Barbecue. It's at the Community House. And joining us right now on the set is uh, Fred Campbell, who is one of the event organizers here, and Fred is the resident historian <laughs> Not uh, me. about this event. No? <laughs> well, you know a lot more than I do. Uh, but you uh, tell me what your connection is with the event and how long you've been involved. Well, I first joined the church back in the 70s, and I was here 40-some years ago, but I'm in charge of the public relations for it this year. And uh, it's just interesting to look back 90 years ago. You look at this church. It was a rural community, and uh, they were building Sunday school buildings, and the Depression hit. And so they decided they needed to raise some money to pay the note for for the construction. And they got together and they cooked a goat and a pig <laughs> and they sold that for, to raise money. Keep in mind, this was a rural community and most of the members of the church were farmers or a farm part-time. Uh-huh. And then they started raising pigs and each farmer would donate a pig for the annual barbecue. And that's how it got started. And they, would, for a long time, barbecued whole pigs. And the story is this one fellow didn't, wasn't a farmer. And he couldn't give a pig, so they bought a pig and gave it to him for him to raise. And so that's how the community has really come together. It's like this it's like Wilbur from Charlotte's Web. <laughs> it really is. And uh, so over the years, they've come together. I know June Ayler, who uh, has passed away, but he ran the barbecue for 25 years, and then his sons Donnie and Craven another 35 years. And so it's been a family thing where everybody has a, a job. They've passed down recipes for slaw, for seasoning. And if you go out here now and look, you'll see people doing things like a, a well-worn machine because they've done it for two or three generations, and it's, it's quite an event here. I never knew the goat part of all this. So when did, when did they stop doing the goat part? I think it might be the first year they just did the goat. They cooked what they had during the Depression. You see these signs around. You know, it's like it's like the Chick-fil-A signs where you see the cows say, eat more chicken. You got goat signs saying, eat more pig. Eat more, eat more pig. <laughs> and if you're going to eat it, eat it at the Mallard Creek yeah. Barbecue, right? But the, over the years, we finally got to where we used the uh, boneless ball. And butts. Okay. And that has simplified it and it cut the cooking down from three days to two days. And uh, 
It's, uh, so we'll have over 14,000 pounds of barbecue today. For, wow. Just the pork. And besides all the amazing food, for someone like myself who's new here, yeah. how does the politician thing work? Do they? I hear you call that a bullpen. So do they just stand there like, you know, kind of you're getting in line like Disney World? Yes. Well, <laughs> what we've had to do is we've had to make that bullpen because we don't want them bothering our diners. <laughs> and so we line them up and people come through and they can shake hands and they can hand out literature, get to know their local politician, ask them questions, tell them what they want them to do for them. All right. And so it's a good event for the politicians and it's a great event for the community. Well, and, and, and you say uh, uh, you don't want them to bother them if they don't want to be bothered because some people come here because they want to talk to the politicians, right. right? Yeah, but what we're trying to say, we don't want them to hold down, gotcha. slow down the uh, production assembly line. Right, because the main event right. is the food. The food. All right. the Do we feed the politicians in the bullpen? Well, if they've got the money for it. <laughs> That's right. And well, that, I heard we said credit card check, no debit. Better come prepared. Well, and if they don't bring any money, they can have goat, right? That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. A lot of pork. Yes, yes, exactly. In more ways than one. Bo Thompson, his best of the week on WPT, plus extended interviews and exclusive digital content. This is Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. All right, we're about to go in the cooking building. That's Bill. right. That's right. This is the cooking building. This is where we can meet up. Man, you can you can smell that barbecue right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, All right. Yeah. They'll bring meat out of the refrigerated truck that was, was being cooked. They put it in these large reheat units, gas-fired units, and they'll heat the meat and uh, drain it and put it in insulated heated unit to keep it warm until we serve it. Can we talk to some of these guys? Let's walk back here. You, you can tell me who people are. Ryan Ayler here. He, he's the, uh, uh, the head of this department back here. And then we, uh, you and I are about to what, about a foot away from some actual barbecue going on here. here here's a meat heater. This is, this is Andy Stiff right here. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, and your name is Andy Stiffle. And you are uh, you're multitasking because you're talking to me, and and you're doing what else? Uh, heating some meat right now. Now this meat, this is meat that's already been cooked, but you're you're heating it up and getting it ready for a few hours when it'll be served, I guess. Right, absolutely, yep. So we're trying to get this ready for uh, lunchtime today to be served hot. So the process for this it started a week ago. Uh, how long does it take, you know, from start to finish? Well, start to finish, uh, we start cooking last Thursday and Friday, so that's a, that's an all-day event, cooking everything. And then this morning, uh, we'll cook and warm until about 2 o'clock uh, for the day. And this, this meat right now, you're, you're, uh, you're mixing it up, you're getting it warm. Uh, have you been doing this for a, a number of years? So this is uh, my 10th year. And, and why do you keep coming back? It's just a part of the family. Uh, thing that we do, ritual, and uh, it's just great serving the community. Well, thank you. This is, uh, I've never been this close to barbecue without eating it. I, I, I really want to, I want some right now, but I know I can't do that yet. Uh, all right, have a great day. <laughs> you thank too. You. All, right, all right, Bill. So, uh, how many, we got how many people in this room right oh, now doing man, things? What, 20, 25 probably heating up meat. These hey. young fellas are breaking the meat up as it comes out of the truck cold. Good morning, everybody. We're, you're on the radio right now. Say good morning. Y'all having a good time? Oh, yeah. Yeah? How long are you going to be here today? About 15 more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we're going to really be in trouble. Then. Yeah. Hey, thank you for letting us back here. We're having fun here on WBT. 
Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah, they get here bright and early and get this thing going, and they'll be here all day. They even have to clean up. Oh, you know what? We didn't even talk about that, Pam, the cleanup process. Wash department over there. Oh, it goes on and on and on. So the the barbecue goes until late this afternoon. Until you run out. Until you run out. Sometime between 4 and 7. And then, of course, with you guys publicizing on the radio, I might run run out at noon. I'm just kidding. We got plenty of food. It's like you said, 15 minutes from now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Panthers going on silent count on first down. Allen looks middle. No receivers open. McCaffrey is, though. Left flat McCaffrey to the 20, to the 10. Spins away. Touchdown, Carolina. McCaffrey left side. He made three or four Buccaneers look like they'd never practiced. I mean, fall down. Two defensive backs fall down with McCaffrey juking them in the open field. It's Hargrave's the first one. Hargrave's the one who stopped CMC on that fourth and one in that game back in week two. That time had his ankle broken by McCaffrey. No, they won't be down yet on Sunday afternoon, but I'm just trying to make the connection here, get in the mode. West Coast time, San Francisco, Niners and the Panthers on WBT, 4 o'clock game here in the Eastern time zone. And we bring in the studio, Bo Thompson, Jim Zoki, and from WFNZ, Wilson and Parcel, as he always says, four-fifths of Wilson and Parcel. <laughs> the intro music here, a little journey, that's like the most romantic start to the show I've ever had with you guys. Well, Hit we a new spot. Couldn't find any Santa Clara music. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. It seems like it's been two months since we played a game. I mean, London feels like a long time ago. At least it does for me. You were there, Jim. Does it feel like it was... Well, with the time change, it was really like three <laughs> months ago now. Yes. So it's uh, now we go back in time because it'll be earlier in Talk California than it is here. Jim's actually in 2017 right now. That's right. Yes. yes. <laughs> or, or the alternate 2019. That's yes. true. By the way, the Cavs lose to the Warriors in the finals again. Uh, I rechecked. That felt about right. I want to get to uh, your thoughts on the NBA opening week here in a second, Nick Wilson, because the Hornets, you know, won their season opener. But let's talk about the Panthers. We've got Zoki here who's going to call the game. Uh, we have a game that really, and I was mentioning this to Jim a bit earlier, but, you know, we, I think around Charlotte, obviously, are, are thinking positive thoughts about the Panthers and on the Panthers bandwagon if you weren't, you know, earlier in the season. But I think if you win this game on Sunday against an undefeated Niners team, then all of a sudden the National talking heads will will follow suit. Absolutely. And I, I by the way, that means that the conversation about Kyle Allen Cam Newton is going to take another level. That also means that Christian McCaffrey's MVP push, if he has another 150-yard game, will take a push. Ron Rivera, who uh, I you know, I, I was looking at Matt Miller's tweet about uh, front runners for the coach of the year award. Uh, Ron wasn't even on the tweet. There were six coaches. He damn near named uh, one-fourth of the league, and somehow Ron Rivera, who has has staggered from being the coach most likely to be fired first in the NFL to being 4-2 and and nipping at the heels of the New Orleans Saints, wasn't in the top uh, six or seven. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's – I think what's interesting is four weeks ago – we're talking about the stakes of Ron Rivera's job, Cam Newton's future, uh, you know, Marty Herney's future, what trades do you make, all this kind of stuff. 
them potentially being able to fire somebody at the bye week, and now we're talking about them. There's so much on the line here in a good sense for this team. And these are probably two of the best, what do you say, five defenses maybe in the league, the way the Panthers have been playing the last four weeks. And yep. Obviously the Niners' second and fewest points in yards right now. Yeah, and the thing, it's, it's interesting. The, the Niners have been pretty consistent. The Panthers have been, I don't want to say boom or bust because that's not fair at all. They've been pretty good. But they have had dominant streaks, and then every once in a while they'll give up like 300 yards in the air through uh, to Gardner Minshew. But they still won that game. Won That's what game. matters. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, and you just mentioned a minute ago that the, the Cam versus Kyle conversation will amp up if we win this game. Well, it's going to amp up if we lose this game in a different way. Yeah, it's uh, this the just the quarterback. I'm calling it a quarterback kerfuffle. I hope you guys will get on board with this because uh, it, it's not quite yet a controversy. Uh, if if they lose and Kyle Allen plays well, it's still a conversation. Mm-hmm. Kyle Allen will still kind of be the front runner in the eyes of many. If they win and he plays poorly, uh, okay, it's time to go back to Cam Newton. If they lose in general and he looks bad, it's time to go back to Cam Newton. There's so many different tributaries. It feels silly because if, you know people will say, well, it's just one game. Well, no, this game is the culmination of his first four starts. And every start that he has to this point, you can put an asterisk on. He was not a huge factor in winning against Houston or Jacksonville. He was against Arizona and Tampa Bay. Those are two of the three worst secondaries in the NFL who've given up two of the three most yardage in the NFL in terms of secondaries go. So uh, a lot. This is one you can't get away. If he plays well here against San Francisco, uh, doesn't turn the ball over, gets him a couple touchdowns, then all of a sudden you have, you have a, a, a win that you can impeach on this guy, and it, it takes a turn. So the uh, the Panthers are Sunday. The Hornets are back home again tonight. Got game two tonight versus Minnesota, and they beat you know not a great Chicago team based on last year by a point went down to the wire. But a lot of optimism about at least the way PJ Washington played, and that some of these young guys are at least going to be interesting to watch. It's not going to be a great season overall, but at least a little bit of optimism about the future, I guess. Yeah, I don't know that we're going to sit here and, and you know we jokingly called for eighty two and zero in an NBA <laughs> Finals appearance yesterday on the show. I don't know that we're necessarily going to go that far, but guys. Uh, let, let's be honest. The pressure of Kemba Walker's future is gone. Uh, it was great because it came with Kemba Walker. That changes the way we look at this team. You also add to the fact that they've got a couple young guys playing well. And if that pace of play, if that style of play, which is making the big shots and, and you know being able to push the ball out in transition mm-hmm. and ball movement, and if that can sustain, even if they win, uh, even if they lose a bunch of games, my God, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and that'll be a huge difference from last year, where again the playoff pressure was on, and it it, it was just miserable season all along. Well, and not only that, they're after this game tonight, they go on a West Coast swing where they play the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Warriors and mm-hmm. the Kings. By the you know that's all going to happen between now and when they come back home. So. <laughs> Ah, I don't know if I want to imagine how that's all going to go. Uh, well, no, I mean, just every time they lose, just, you know, just throw, you should get a hopper and just throw a ping pong ball into it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just one dive more deep into symbolism. Yeah, one more chance. Or are you saying there's a chance? Yeah. <laughs> Jim Zoki, Bo Thompson, and the, the great Nick Wilson, four-fifths of Wilson and Parcel, coming up 10 a.m. on FNZ. Thank you, as always. Anytime. Did you notice Nick Wilson? Uh, he sounded like a politician. You missed it. I caught it. Right when he was talking about the Hornets, he said, let's be honest, right before he made his comments. Does that mean Nick Wilson was not honest before he said, let's be honest? Of course. Okay. Yeah. 
I have to qualify. Okay, now you're honor. different from a politician. <laughs> Listen, I'm just, a I'm, politician would say, I didn't say that. <laughs> I've just been listening to this show, and I'm just picking up notes here. I would like to point out, there was an opportunity for free food yesterday, and uh, you were not there. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit bummed. A free here. food in your no, studio. No, there was free food. Bo no, was out on the road. I was there. You the were barbecue. There. It was too much work to get oh, out yeah. there. See, well, I just want to point <laughs> out my limo that. driver was off yesterday. The food I, has to come oh, to him. Oh, you don't get limo drivers I'm, over at uh, your sports channel. Uh, we, we have get two limo drivers. Their names yes. are Fred and Franz. <laughs> yeah. But so so anyway, I want to point out now. In multiple weeks, he's handed out food, his own food for free, uh, government handouts. Absolutely, and now he's turning down free food. I don't even know Pat McCrory anymore, guys. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Will work for food does not apply. You yeah. must bring it on a platter. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. It is WBT's Friday morning news. And time to bring on my buddy Sean O'Connell from CinemaBlend.com. And, hey, look, I know it's Friday, uh, but you'd be hard-pressed to have a better Monday than you had earlier this week, Sean. Yeah, this was a, a once-in-a-lifetime, Bo. I, I got to go up to New Jersey uh, and, and head to the home uh, studio, private studio of Bruce Springsteen, uh, because he has a documentary coming out. Out, uh, today called Western Stars and Warner Brothers, the studio that's behind it, uh, picked five journalists um, who they know also happen to be huge Springsteen fans and, and invited us up for uh, an intimate conversation with Bruce about about this movie, primarily because he's he's a co-director of it. Uh, for the, so for the first time in his life, although he's been responsible for for a couple of con- uh, concert documentaries before, this was a personal project that he got behind, and he gets co-director uh, credit, so they wanted him to be able to sit down and do some press with people who would appreciate not just the fact that he made a movie, but, you know, his life and his music. And, and I was one of the lucky ones who got picked to be there. And it was, uh, it was truly, truly incredible. You and I have talked uh, many times for many years, and you've gotten to meet some incredible people uh, through your travels. Tom Cruise comes to mind. Uh, Quentin Tarantino earlier this year on your podcast. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix a few weeks ago ahead of Joker. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, the boss. Where, where does this one fall as far as uh, all the people you've talked to. I mean, he's, he's, he's right there at the top. Uh, and and if, if there's anyone who might potentially just edge uh, slightly ahead of him, it's, it's the, the fact that I was able to, to interview Stephen King in his hometown of Bangor. And, and King, to me, is that's my formative years. That's my childhood, you know, just reading his work and, and growing up on his stories. But, but Bruce, same thing with his music. I, I play uh, guitar and I also play drums and I, 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 I'm a diehard Bruce fan. And the thing about Bruce is he doesn't do like I'm a movie journalist. I would never get a chance to to do press with him, and I don't even know how often he gives interviews at this point anymore. So to get that opportunity is still like t- like today to this day. I, I, it feels like a dream. It feels like something else that I watched someone else do. Even though like in the moment, because in the moment you're sitting there and you're talking to Bruce, and he's he's as down to earth and as genuine and authentic as you want him to be. Right? Like he's just a great conversationalist, one of the best storytellers, obviously, of our generation. So listening to him respond to our questions was unbelievable. But there, there were times in the interview where I'm asking him a question and he's paying attention to me and then answering me directly. And my brain is saying to you, like, <laughs> that's 
Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> You're sitting across <laughs> from Bruce right now. Uh, be in the moment. Pay attention. This is pretty special. Well, uh, I just tweeted a picture, the picture you sent me and you, uh, you know, released on social media earlier this week of the two of you. And it looks <laughs> like he just walked off a a cover shoot for an album. I mean, everything you'd ever think Bruce Springsteen would look like. I mean, there he is right there standing beside you. Well, and he's 70, and he looks amazing for his age, obviously. And so where we are, um, he has a property in New Jersey. It's a gigantic farm. It's 120 acres. And, and this is the private studio that he had built on this, uh, on this piece of land that he's been recording in since 2006. And it's just it's stocked to the gills with every instrument you can think of. Get racks and racks of guitars. Uh, Max Weinberg's drum kit is set up there. Uh, there's multiple keyboards and bass, and he has technicians that are um, on the clock 24 hours a day uh, with all of the equipment on at any given point and ready to record because they say they never know when he's going to be inspired by something and want to come in and start tinkering around, and they have to be ready. They can't be waiting around or trying to queue up all the stuff. So we walked into his studio, and we got a tour of it, and everything is lit. All the stuff, it's mic'd, and it's on, and they're ready in case... Uh, inspiration hits Bruce at any given time. So Western Stars is a concert film, and again, it opens up today, and uh, you, you met the boss, and, and, and you say thumbs up to what the boss has produced here. Well, sure. I mean, needless to say, my review is pretty biased, but I thought it was actually really beautiful. So it's, it's a new album. He didn't do it with E Street. Uh, it's solo material. The reason why he did this, this uh, movie is because he knew he didn't plan to tour behind these new songs. He wasn't going to get the band together. He wasn't going to go out on the road with it. So he wanted to give his fans an opportunity to hear the best quality versions of these songs. So he essentially plays the album from start to finish um, in a barn on his property with, with a full symphony orchestra backing him up. And every song sounds fantastic. And then in between, he kind of tells stories and, and gives a little bit of his philosophies as to how these songs came together. And if you're a Bruce fan, obviously it's, it's a dream come true. But I think even for casual fans, who kind of just want to go out and see him still performing at, at the age of 70, uh, it's a great time at the movies. Well, I know it's Friday, but it's got to be uh, still kind of in hangover mode for Monday for you because not only did you talk to the boss, then halftime of Monday Night Football, there's the final trailer that we've been, we've been waiting for forever, seems like. Long have I waited. And now, Coming together. Is your undoing. What, uh, what are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir. At my friends. Okay, Rise of Skywalker, the trailer. What'd you think? Yeah, I, I don't know how you felt, Bo. You and I haven't spoke about this. I was kind of lukewarm about it. Um, I, I'm excited for the movie, and I'm, I'm anxious to see what J.J. does. Um, but, you know, we've seen a couple of trailers now for it, and I can't even tell you what this final chapter is about. And I know that they're trying to hide all the details, and they don't want to give anything away in the marketing, and that's fine. But there's nothing about this new one that's, speaks to me of this is why you want to go see it beyond the fact that they're leaning into this is the end of the Skywalker saga, you know, and that's what that new trailer sort of gave me. Now, okay, fine. I like Marvel more than Star Wars, but I was at this point I was way more excited for Endgame 
than I was necessarily for Rise of Skywalker, and I'm kind of blaming the marketing for it. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, there's the word, vague, and, and maybe that's completely on purpose. Uh, and I have a feeling that anything you try to draw from this is probably going to be, when you see it, you're going to realize that they they tried to fool you, because I don't think they want anybody to have any clue uh, where this is all going. I, You know, Marvel, with their last Avengers movie, managed to keep a lot of things under wraps, and hopefully Star Wars will be able to do the same thing, because I think, in the end, the payoff, obviously, then was great, and will be for this one, too. If they can... Cause I, and again, I've, I've, I've seen some articles lately about J.J. Abrams and how seriously he's taking, sticking the landing on this one. Yeah, and he should, obviously. There's a lot of pressure on his shoulders for this one. And, and again, I don't think he would have taken the gig if he didn't think he could do it. Um, and I mainly, I have a lot of faith in him, and I think that he has the ability to do that. One reason why I think that we're going to be fine is that a report sort of broke uh, after the trailer launched that as of right now, at 155 minutes, uh, The Rise of Skywalker is due to be the longest uh, installment in the Star Wars franchise. It's going to be the longest Star Wars movie. So, so there's plenty, plenty, plenty that we are not seeing. And, uh, and, and yeah, I have faith in J.J. I'm sure it's going to be just fine. Yeah, I feel like uh, I watched it, and I don't know any more about the movie than I did before I watched it, and yet it was, what, two and a half minutes long? So <laughs> I'm kind of neither here nor there. I'm just, uh, let's, let's go ahead and get to December 20th. Yeah, right, exactly. Get here now. So tickets went on sale uh, at all the different outlets and so uh, on Monday. So it's Friday now. If you, if you guys are still looking for uh, opening weekend, you, you might be out of luck. You might, you might have to scrounge around a little bit and, and, and find maybe an early Sunday morning. We continue on a Friday morning. A couple more minutes here with Sean O'Connell from CinemaBlend.com. We were just talking about uh, the Star Wars trailer earlier this week. And, of course, that movie is right before Christmas. And I'm sure there are some people listening saying, guys, it's not Halloween yet. Don't get ahead of yourselves here. Uh, <laughs> next time I talk to you, Halloween will be over, though. Uh, Halloween, of course, coming up uh, Thursday, uh, this coming Thursday. So I thought we'd end this. Is there? And there's not a big Halloween movie this year that I can tell. Uh, but is there a movie that you, Sean O'Connell, CinemaBlend.com, years of watching movies, would say here's one to watch to get you into the Halloween uh, mood this year? Not necessarily a new one, but maybe, and, and not necessarily your all-time favorite, but just one that you always uh, come back to. Sure, I'm going to pick this one uh, for a specific reason. I'm going to tell you all to catch up on The Shining, uh, one of the classics, obviously, of the horror genre. And part of the reason why, if you haven't seen it in a long time, uh, Warner Brothers has a movie coming out uh, in November, uh, November 8th, I want to say that it is, called Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel to The Shining. And uh, Stephen King actually wrote the book years after the fact. And um, so it's based on his novel. It stars Ewan McGregor, and he's playing... Uh, Danny Torrance, uh, who was the little boy in The Shining, obviously the son of Jack Nicholson, mm -hmm. and um, he, as an older uh, as an older kid, still blessed with the with the power of the shine, uh, but it's sort of catching up with him years later. The book is fantastic. I, I've heard really good things about the adaptation. So, if you don't want to be completely lost by what's happening in Doctor Sleep, use this Halloween season to catch up with The Shining, which again, it's, it's a movie you should watch uh, every year anyway because it's just that good. No Nicholson in this new one, though, right? Not that I'm aware of, but, you know, listen, we're in the age of digital de-aging, so a classic yeah. veteran actors <laughs> show up in the weirdest places. All right, Sean O'Connell, CinemaBlend.com, a very boss week, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, it certainly was. Thanks, Anytime, man. Anytime, Bo, no problem. The best of the week, on to men. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. 
Our cybersecurity expert, Teresa Payton, joining us, as she always does on Wednesdays. So, uh, so Cleveland, huh? That's the latest stop? Yes, Cleveland rocks, right? And <laughs> so I'm really excited. I'm with the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, the financial services industry, and the regulators talking about some of the systemic issues and patterns that I'm seeing that impact uh, the financial services ecosystem and what we can do about it. Well, let's go from Cleveland to California, as in San Bernardino City Unified School System. There uh, was a, or I guess is is the better word because they're still working through this, but there's been a district hacking of this uh, school system. And this is something we don't hear that much about. You and I always seem to be talking about businesses that get hacked and hospitals and various entities, but you don't hear often about a school or a school system being hacked. And when you really think about all the data that is within a school between students and parents and teachers, uh, A, I think it's, uh, I'm surprised we don't hear about it more often, and B, well, maybe that's the next frontier. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where um, they know, the cyber criminals know it's going to be obvious and embarrassing, and they do do their homework. And so in this case, they went after the San Bernardino Valley, um, the, the actual city school district, and it's going to be obvious. And why is it obvious? Well, Bo, you and I both have kids. All their homework is online. All the communications with the teachers are online. Mm-hmm. How we pay for sports activities and clubs, it's all online. And so if you're holding those websites and that information for ransom, then they know people are going to notice and that the school district will be scrambling to, they're hoping, pay the ransom. But there's a lot more due diligence that has to be done. It's not just as simple as paying the ransom and voila, you get the key and you get your data back. It doesn't work that way. And the other question that the parents and the school board and the district should be asking is, what else were they after? It may not just be a simple pay us the ransom when we go away. Are they planning on compromising the data? Are they planning on adding cryptocurrency mining and hiding within these systems, fattening the criminals' wallets with cryptocurrency mining? Well, and when you, like I said, when you drill down about what this all could potentially mean, I mean, you have uh, student data about grades. You have student uh, identification data. We all know how much information you have to give about your kids back and forth with the schools on day one every year. And then there's the whole interactive process. When you and I were in school, it it was about paper and pen and pencil. Now everything goes through the computer one way or the other. You access grades that way. You access assignments that way. Uh, you correspond that way. So you take the computer or the Internet out now, and you don't have much left to work with. We worry about snow and ice closing the school down. Uh, hackers did it effectively with ransomware. I mean, can, can you teach when the books are online and the assignments are online and, you know, and, and all of the coordination and the grades are online? The question is, is like, what is the backup plan here? Yeah, and uh, so this is one to watch. And uh, perhaps uh, in the coming days, you and I can talk about more ways that teachers and students can be prepared if this were ever to come down the pike in somewhere like Charlotte, North Carolina. But I want to switch gears, uh, no pun intended, and talk about a new app called Park Cam, P-A-R-K-A-M, Park 
Cam, and this is an app that helps you find a parking place, which is not new in the sense that there aren't other apps out there that can help you do this, but the the new thing here is, and perhaps the concerning thing to a degree with security issues, is the way that ParkCam finds you that spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a little concerned uh, about this app, the Park Cam, uh, because it's, well, it's going to solve a problem that many people have, especially around holiday shopping time or going to a sporting event or something like that, whereas I need a good parking spot and I can't seem to find one. So this is going to help you find that parking spot. But it's doing it in a very unconventional way by using surveillance cameras around cities and towns all over the world to actually know where the next great parking spot is going to be for you. My concern about this is the amount of data that will be processed at lightning speed and the availability at which that data is available. It could potentially create a situation where if you want to stalk somebody in a particular area, you could actually use this parking app to conduct surveillance. So it doesn't just, you know, one of the things is, like, if you have an expected area where you think a car is going to be, um, you can also have an expected area where the car is not going to be and, yeah. and to actually know that information in real time using an app. So more to come on that. It'll be interesting to see how they address privacy and surveillance concerns if the app actually gets traction. It's an Israeli startup company that is doing this, and again, it's called ParkCam, ParkCam, playing on both of those words, Park and Cam. But the difference is, is that this uses, uh, tech, you know, Waze has uh, employed GPS systems the same way that this particular app is is trying to, to merge and converge with uh, parking security cameras. But I guess the, the rub there is, is that the security cameras at various places, they have to buy in. They have to be part of this, uh, this app's uh, working process. And if they're not, then it's not quite as expansive as you may think it is. That's very true, although money talks. And so if suddenly yeah. you found a new revenue source, for a camera that you need to have in place anyways. And so this will be, you know, I I think there's a lot of good that can come out of apps like these, you know, saving people time, you know, potentially giving you, you know, kind of a safer place, a closer place to park for people who have trouble walking long distances. It can be incredibly helpful for them. But I do have some privacy concerns. And uh, so this one for me is a stay tuned. And, uh, you know, I I think we're going to learn more about apps, you know, they're sort of the trailblazer and sort of their approach to doing this. They're certainly not the first parking app, but it'll be interesting to see if others in the industry follow the same design. Okay, final thing this week with Teresa Payton, our cybersecurity expert. Teresa, if I had said to you the phrase social media influencer 10 years, 15 years ago, you would have looked at me like, Yeah, what is that? Well, here in 2019, we know some people have made quite a career or try to make a career out of it. Wall Street Journal says this week that the influence of social media influencers, the influence is on the wane, while at the same time, those who actually can hold down that job or or find it, get someone to pay them for it, the amount of money that those people are willing to pay now is climbing roughly 50% a year since 2017. This conversation that we're having, though, this may be sort of that inversion point where social media influencers are commanding more and more dollars, but at the same time, companies are starting to wonder 
whether or not the influencers actually have influence over your and my brand loyalty and our actual purchases. And so, you know, it's interesting what we've seen happen on sort of the cyber criminal side and the and sort of the looking out for fraud and security issues is these influencers have actually stoked a cottage industry of fake followers and fake fans and yeah. fake enthusiasts. And so one of the things I would caution anybody who does follow an, uh, a social media influencer, especially young adults, teens, and children, is all of those followers may not be real. They may actually, in effect, be bots managed by a factory of people who are feeding these bots and making it look like there's bigger social media engagement and following of these influencers than they really truly have. Boy, it's a, it's a wild, wild west out there these days. And like I said, things 10 years ago we would have uh, no idea about that are now things you got to think about. Uh, that's why we talked to Teresa Payton, our cybersecurity expert. And you can follow her, as always, on Twitter at Tracker Payton. Uh, have fun in Cleveland. Yeah, thanks so much, Bo. Talk to you soon. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. I want to shift gears and talk about a story that caught my attention, Pam, uh, something that's happening in Germany. There's a German company called, uh, let's see, uh, Reinigens. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I took uh, three years of German, so <laughs> Rhein, I think. Reinigens Digital Enabler. It's a firm in Germany where uh, this guy has 16 employees, and they start work at 8 a.m., and they leave at 1. Nice. So you've heard of the old adage or the old uh, debate. It's circulated over the last several years about, you know, should the work week be less than five days? Should right. we have a four-day work week? What about a five-hour work day? This company in Germany has determined that a five-hour workday, you get more out of your employees than you do an eight-hour workday if you take away all of their distractions, okay? So in order to have a five-hour workday, this guy, the boss, says small talk during work hours is discouraged. Social media is banned. This is all while you're on the job, while you're on the clock. Phones are kept in backpacks. Company email accounts are checked just twice a day. And most meetings are scheduled to last no more than 15 minutes. Oh, nice. So, so now that I've said that, so a five-hour workday, everybody's like, oh, yeah, come in at 8 and leave at 1. Great. But while you're there, you can't, you can't look at your phone. You can't check email. You can't do any of this, these things that I know a lot of people listening. And I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying that I never do this, but I, I think all of us have things that we do during the day that you would count maybe – as downtime or in this guy is all in the name of productivity if you can tell me that you will come to work and not do these things then you'll be out of here by one o'clock would you do it absolutely i can definitely get on board with that the only thing i don't really see working i guess maybe if the company's prosperous is checking your work email twice a day because i know that i get tons of emails constantly so if you're a busy popping you know uh, a business I, I can imagine you would have to check it more than twice a day well and for what we do I mean, for what you do, for what I do, right. all of us need email. Right. Uh, that's your channel of information. And I'm on social media. I'm on social media right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, but see, here's the thing. Social media for us uh, is a conduit of our communication right. with listeners. So social media is a very important part of what we do. Now, in some working environments, social media is a big no-no because uh, some office places say anything you do on social media is taking you away from productivity. Hence, this 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Idea. 
Uh, I think a lot of people would have trouble with this. And I'm not saying that we wouldn't if we were told this, but um, there's there's a bit of a a blur for for people who work in this type of industry. But I mean, I'm telling you, no small talk during. How do how do you how do you police that one? Somebody walks through and goes, "No, stop, 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 stop." <laughs> I'd put on some headphones, listen to some music. I could definitely yeah. get some work done. The guy who runs this German company. And like I said, there's 16 employees. He says he believes that employees can deliver the same output during a focused 25-hour work week as in 40 hours interrupted with distractions. So, again, I, the, the, the key here is can you enforce and make that distraction-free work time happen? Interesting to think about. Thanks for listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Hear Bo live weekday mornings 5 to 8 on WBT's Morning News and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WBT.com and Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.